Bonjour, Seamus. Lovely to have you here. Bonjour. Kia ora, Catherine. Five and a half years since I've been home, so it's great travelling through the country. We're just going to blot out much of those five and a half yeah. years. Lots, so of sun, lots of sunshine, though, so I'm very happy. And you very picked a nice, good summer. It's been a great summer and very nice to be face-to-face with you, Catherine, as opposed to down the line. It's always good to have that There's something presence. exotic sometimes, though, isn't there, about touching base in Lyon? Yes. All right, let's look forward a little bit to what the year holds. And obviously a big issue for Europe, of course, is this ongoing issue of Ukraine assistance. There's a U.S. election later in the year that will be on the minds of many leaders. The leaders are not necessarily all on the same page looking forward. Where are things at? Absolutely, and so great for me to have this perspective being away from Europe to see this from the outside. But as you say, yes, Ukraine is the big question, I think, this year. Security in general, as you say, with you know the prospect of uh, President Trump making a return, uh, you know, this week, actually, in Brussels, there's going to be a major summit. This is about providing Ukraine with further assistance from Europe. We know that money is being held up in the US. So people are looking towards Europe for that unity, uh, for that continued support for Ukraine. And we know that their their um, supplies are dwindling, aren't they? Uh, President Zelensky is just urging, you know, lots of individual countries to provide support. This summit in Brussels on Thursday is the moment where the leaders are getting together again, hoping to convince Hungary. That's no Hungary's the fly in the in the in the ointment. Uh, at a summit in December, Hungary blocked this fifty billion euro package, which would you know really be of 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 such great use for Ukraine in light of the fact that the UK that the US is hesitating. Uh, we we know that he blocked that in December. He did leave the room when they voted on actually starting membership talks with Ukraine. So that was good. Uh, So what they're trying to do, we've had uh, a lot of diplomatic missions to Ukraine, to Budapest in in previous weeks, apparently. Uh, From what I'm hearing on the ground, very little hope of a deal. So what's going to happen on Thursday? That 50 billion euro package, there's even talk now. uh, And I was speaking to a friend who's a diplomat in Brussels saying there's serious talk about trying to find some revolutionary solution which may actually mean taking Hungary out of the voting system so taking away the rights of Hungary uh, and of course all this links back to Hungary being the bad child if you like, uh, you know, inverted commas uh, lots of concerns about democratic standards, they've had a lot of European Union funding frozen in the past uh, and we know that Hungary has been saying if we give further money to Ukraine you've got to unblock the money that's being held up for, for Hungary as well so is this a uh, – does the vote require unanimity? It does. Okay. Normally it does. And this was very, very interesting in December. We were all surprised. And I don't quite actually know how it worked because he left the room. Some say he went to the toilet. Some say he went to get a coffee. Nonetheless, they actually decided to go ahead with this with this unanimous vote I among the assumption members. was he had removed himself deliberately. Is that not necessarily the case? Well, he he did remove himself. I've heard that he was actually convinced by some fellow leaders okay. that he needed just, just to get, get out of the room, yeah, yeah, yeah. let this go but ahead. If you were then to begin suspending voting rights of certain members, that itself starts to gnaw away, doesn't it? Absolutely. At the, at the, uh, that said, if they've already, what have they done with respect to... Um, some kind of reprimand already on Hungary? They're not... It's a very long process, and actually Hungary has been threatened, along with Poland, for you know several years with disciplinary action. But in the European Union, that's a long process, mm-hmm. and countries just seem to be, th- you know, just 
you know, they, they think, well, that's never going to happen. So they, they just take that on the chin. But actually, the, the talk we're hearing at the moment is some European Union leaders coming forward and saying, we need to you know, bring in, uh, it's actually called Article 7, it's never been used. It would be seen as the nuclear option. I think a lot of people would be hesitant. You're right. This would really... Uh, it would really reinforce the idea of disunity. Mm-hmm. And setting one against another, the risk of absolutely. setting one against another. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's a pivotal time, isn't it? There's just no question uh, in terms of European unity over this and especially ahead of uh, that transatlantic unity becoming a question as well. Yes. So, you know, the prospect of President Trump coming back, uh, what would that mean for NATO? We know that he's against NATO, this whole question of security. But also, Catherine, what's interesting, in June this year we have the EU elections and And uh, a a shocking report came out from the European Council on Foreign Relations recently, reputable, saying that anti-European parties, Eurosceptic parties, populist parties, they, according to the latest opinion polls, they could get first place in at least nine countries. Mm -hmm. This includes France, Poland, Austria, Italy, the Netherlands, Hungary. No surprise there. Belgium, Slovakia. And the report also saying that in second or third place, countries such as Germany, mm-hmm. Portugal, Spain, Sweden. So these are Eurosceptic parties forming maybe the second or third largest bloc in the European Parliament, which would mean creating damage from the inside. And a lot of these parties are against continued support for Ukraine. Hungary would be seen as the leader of that pack. Uh, so in France, for example, Marine Le Pen. Uh, we know that in, in quite a few countries, including in the Netherlands, uh, we've had you know, talk of leaving the European Union. That's been moderated. So when they come closer to power, they get rid of some of those radical ideas that they campaigned on. But we, we you know, could see after the elections in June... Numerous parties in the European Parliament actively campaigning and moving to dismantle the European Union from the inside. And, of course, that's exactly what President Putin, for example, would want. And President Trump has also talked about he, he doesn't like this federal European Union also when it comes to trade and what have you. It's kind of ironic when he l- runs a federal nation himself. Yes. <laughs> doesn't it? yes. But um, I've of- often thought of the United States actually as... Um, very much like a, a European Union, a series of countries bound together by a quite extraordinary constitution more than anything else, such as its diversity. We yeah. digress. And cr- I was going to say, normally very close relations, and we know oh. that in the, in the final years of President Trump, there was a trade Between war. Between the two, yeah, That's indeed. Right. Now, Ukraine, in the absence of the support it would like mm. uh, from either EU and or the United States, new military tactics as supplies are dwindling. How so? Yeah. And so this is the whole thing about the drone industry. And Ukraine has shown itself to be absolutely top when it comes to drones. So what we're seeing, and and I've I've seen a couple of reports where uh, we're actually tallying up the number of attacks. It used to be on the border, in in the border regions between Ukraine and Russia. But actually, now we're getting attacks close to St. Petersburg. Uh, We're getting uh, attacks close to those centers. And this is the energy infrastructure for Russia. So it seems to be some kind of strategy. If you're not going to provide us with the arms, we're actually going to be uh, we're going to be smart here. So this is smart warfare. Um, I've seen quite a few reports on this over the past couple of weeks. I think this is going to be something in 2024. We know that the whole propaganda side of the warfare is going to be upped by Russia, also by Ukraine. But I think we're going to see the smart warfare. And I think the drones, I think also... Uh, a lot of people that I talk to, close colleagues uh, who are Ukrainian and talking also about cyber attacks. Uh, and so they are bringing in that expertise. And, you know, 
People are saying, well, look, uh, you know, Ukraine, uh, you know, needs all the help it can get. Russia has continued to export its energy products. Uh, Ukraine is going to focus on that. They want to really actually just stop that funding getting through to Russia. Uh, and just in the last couple of days, we've seen these attacks uh, on these on these major facilities. At the moment, I think, you know, Russia's dealt with it uh, the best way it can. But it also raises a question about where their where their focus is. They're having to take you know, their, their defense systems from the front line and actually put those within Russia itself. And I think this is worrying for the Russian public as well. Uh, with, uh, you know, President Putin facing elections in a couple of months, this is also very worrying for him. The second anniversary coming up, Catherine, just in a couple of weeks, um, and I think increasingly what I'm hearing also in Russia is that the general population voicing concern about where is this going, especially when they see drones flying over their cities uh, and explosions and what have you, even though the damage at the moment is quite limited. You mentioned the EU elections in June already. What else are we looking for there, particularly with leadership, the incumbent president, etc.? Yeah, and I think this is a big one that hasn't been resolved. And, you know, the last five years uh, under uh, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, I think, you know, one of the major criticisms of the European Union is the lack of leadership or the lack of visible leadership. And we know that the president of the European Commission, the individual EU countries don't want to have somebody who's a figurehead. They They want to keep their sovereignty. They want it to be somebody who's not seen as a leader. So, you know, someone like Ursula von der Leyen, the German uh, president of the commission, she, she takes a step back. We haven't seen the leadership we had from Angela Merkel, for example. She left the picture. Uh, the, German, um, the German leader, the German chancellor, not really stepping forward. President Macron, lots of problems at home. We know that with the, re- with the farmers' protests happening at the moment. Uh, also, his uh, majority in parliament, very fragile. Um, that seems to be the, be the, be the key concern is, is European Union leadership, who's actually stepping up to, to make sure that we do have that unity. And I think this year, after the June elections, we know that Ursula von der Leyen is going to be standing again. We also heard recently that uh, the president of the European Council of EU leaders, Charles Michel, he was going to leave early. And... Concern then voiced about the possibility, because Hungary's taking over the rotating presidency of the European Union for the last six months of this year, there was concern that if Charles Michel left early, that could fall into the hands of Hungary. So we'd have Viktor Orban uh, leading the meetings in the European Union for the second half of this year. So he actually backtracked and he said, no, I'm not going to leave early. I'm going to hang around because of that question of unity, that crucial question. What a year ahead. Thanks very much uh, for keeping us uh, up to date with it, Seamus Cooney. A pleasure.